Thank you for tuning in. We trust that you will be blessed and refreshed as you hear this message. Today I'm a bit nervous, to be honest, uh, with the word I'm sharing. I had a very rough night uh, with this message, tossing and turning, hardly sleeping. And uh, I just feel uh, overwhelmed with what God wants to communicate to our hearts. So I pray that you will have grace to receive, not just to hear the word, but to receive it in our hearts, that this word will be a preparation of our hearts of what is to come. So this morning, we're going to look at seven areas that Satan will use to deceive the whole world. Now, do not panic. We're not going to look at all seven areas, but I just want to break it down for you. The first four areas is concerning the church. The remaining three areas are towards the unbelievers in this world. So we will look at what are those four areas of deception, and we will pick one for this morning. The four areas that the church will be deceived by is one, the doctrine of demons. We'll be focusing on that today. Second is the second coming of Jesus. There's going to be a lot of deception around the event of Jesus' return. The third is false prophets will rise in these days in greater numbers to deceive people. And the fourth, the false message of grace. So you got a lot of Sundays to bear with me before we finish all of this. So this morning we will look at how the spirit of deception will come into the church through what the Bible says is the doctrine of demons. Come with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. Those of you who have done the conference, the healing and deliverance conference, will probably have a, I've heard a glimpse of it. Those of you who read the book, Discerning of, your, of Spirits, uh, will have read portions written there. But this morning, we're going to take a fresh look at what the Bible says. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter time, some will depart from the faith. Let me stop there for a moment. Now, the Holy Spirit is expressly, urgently communicating something to the church. And this is what the Holy Spirit has to say, that in the latter days, in the end days, the time that we are in, some will depart from their faith, giving heed, and say the word, deceiving spirits. Can you say that loudly? Deceiving spirits. We will hear voices, we will hear messages that are coming from deceiving spirits and, doctrine or, and doctrines of demons. So demons also have their doctrine, and their doctrine is to deceive people in the church. And this is a letter to the Christians, to the church. The first one is speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, was three forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So the doctrine of demons basically has to do with dealing with hypocrisy in the church, starting from the religious leaders. 
And that's why verse 2 says, speaking lies in hypocrisy. So there's going to be a lot of hypocrisy in the church where people's conscience will be seared. That means they will lose the sense of conviction. They will lose the sense of what's right and what's wrong because they got so used to the deceiving ways that they no longer feel guilty of doing the things or saying the things which are contrary to God's word. The only people that Jesus called hypocrites in the New Testament are the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious rulers, because they promoted legalism. And Jesus warned the people to be careful do not uh, go the way of the Pharisees. He called them hypocrites because they would lay down laws for others to obey, but not for themselves. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 3, So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. And how far we are from that truth this morning. How often we can say something but not live it. And basically, that's what Jesus called as hypocrisy. We talk about a high standard, but we ourselves fall short of that high standard. There are four reasons why Jesus called these religious people as hypocrites. And we're going to look at all four reasons this morning. A, because everything they do, they do it to show people what they do. Look at what Jesus says. Everything they do is done for people to see. Promotions has hit the church. And so everything is about promotion, people to see which is contrary to what Jesus thought in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. I'm reading from the Amplified Version. Thus, whenever you give to the poor, do not blow a trumpet before you as the hypocrites in the synagogue, in the church, and in the streets like to do, that they may be, what's the word? Recognized. I want to be recognized. How much is done for the poor? Who did what? And somehow they get gratification for the things they do rather than doing it with a genuine heart to please God. And it says, they may be recognized and honored and praised by men. You know, it can be very addictive when people want to keep hearing praises from other people. I'm reminded of Smith Wigglesworth, the great man of God that lived at a, at a different century, when some people would praise him for the miracles and, and the things he would do, say, he would turn around and rebuke him, Satan, get behind me. <laughs> and I was shocked when I read it, and somehow that, that kept coming back uh, to me, because people will praise you. But it's not about people praising. It's them seeking the praise of people. Truly, I tell you, they will have their reward full already. And so Jesus called them hypocrites 
because their motive was not to honor God, their heart attitude was not to glorify God and genuinely help the underprivileged of the poor, their fundamental purpose is to be recognized so that people will praise them. The second reason why God called these religious people hypocrites is, because, is in the second half of that verse. Verse 5b, they like their philatricides. Philatric That's a complicated word. Okay, wide and tassels on their garments long. In spite of me trying to practice at home, I'm still fumbling over it. Philatricides. Philatricides. Ah, philatricides. Correct, I got it. Philatricides. You know, philatricides are boxes where they keep scripture. And they carry it around to show everyone, well, you know, I'm a holy guy. I've got these scriptures, and, and they will probably make it big so that people could see. They will wear dress and tassels so that everyone will know, look, you're in the ordinary class, but we are superior. We are the holy kind. We, we have a different status uh, of, riddle, of, of purity in this world. And so they took pride in the way they dressed. B, the second one. Jesus called them hypocrites because they love to sit in prominent places of honor. They love the honor. They love the garlands. They love the, the sense of attention. And Jesus said this. They love the places of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They want the best. They want recognition. They loved it. See, the next part, they were full of greed and exploited people for gain. That's the third reason why he called them hypocrites. They took opportunity to exploit. You know, I heard this over and over again, and you would have heard it, where the people tell, sell your gold, give to the kingdom, do this, do this. And, uh, well, that's only for the congregation. And I feel there's always a sense of exploiting what they could get from the congregation rather than serve the congregation. And it's basically for their gain. They would look pious and holy on the outside, but all they did was exploit people. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. Amplified version. Woe to you. Woe is the opposite of a blessing. It's a curse. When someone says woe to you, they're not blessing you. Trouble is coming. And Jesus is saying, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, pretenders, and brackets, hypocrites, for you are like tombs that have been whitewashed, which look beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and everything impure. And so the reason why Jesus said you're like whitewashed tombs is because they made sure people looked at them through the eyes of religion, through the eyes of holiness. They wanted to portray themselves as good, righteous, godly men and godly women. But on the inside, in their hearts, in their motives, it's filled with evil. There were different motives. You know, when uh, we were doing this run-through just here, uh, Mikey asked me, what about hypocrites in the world? And I said, there's no hypocrites in the world. They're genuine sinners. 
the hypocrites and the church because we want to portray something that we are not. And that's the problem. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want people to see us for who we are. We want people to see us for what, they, what we like them to think we are. And that's the bottom line of this whole religiosity that we come up with praise the Lord and hallelujah. And these people who talk about praise the Lord and hallelujah are cheating people left, right, and center. And it's shocking. It's a disgrace. I feel ashamed when I hear these stories. Just because a person prays and reads the Bible for us doesn't make them a godly man and godly woman. It makes them religious, but not necessarily godly. Are you listening to me? When my wife was counseling another lady, another girl, she asked her, do you think your family member is godly? She says, yes, because he prays and reads every day on his knees, so he's godly. But the same person was sexually abusing her, and she didn't think that was ungodly. Why? Because it was masqueraded with the idea of he prays and he reads the Bible every day on his knees. Now, that is deceptive. And when people talk about how many hours they prayed and, and what they did, don't fall for that jargon. Because you're not what you pray, you are what you are. And sometimes they put the smoke screen, you know, how many days they fasted and, uh, and uh, what sacrifice they made for the kingdom. You know, it's, it's a whitewash. All our prayer and everything that we do should be done in secret, and that's what Matthew chapter 6 says. You know, when the Bible says clean on the inside, it's talking about our motives, the inner world. And sometimes we are so caught up with the outer world, we deny what's going on on the inside of us. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. Did I, first, did I read it? Yes, I read it. He says, you, are clean, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgent. Want something to gratify themselves. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside, get your heart, your motives, your attitude, the cup of the di and dish, and then the outside will be clean. Your life will be clean. The last reason why Jesus called them hypocrites is in Matthew chapter 23, verse 28. Even so, you also appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You see, in the Old Testament, the law had to do with what you did outwardly. It didn't deal with the heart as long as you kept the law of not committing adultery, you were okay. Even if your heart was adulterous, even if your thoughts were wicked, as long as you didn't steal, that was, that was okay. You kept the law. But in the New Testament, Jesus is not talking about keeping the law. He's taking, talking about the transformation of the heart. And that's why he says, you need to deal with our heart. Our hearts must be transformed. Jesus is not looking at the law. He's looking at our hearts. In fact, I, I so often think of this. 
that everything we do in secret catches God's attention, not what we do publicly. If you read Matthew chapter 6, he says three things. If you give in secret, your father sees you and he will reward you openly. Your giving should be in secret. Then it says if you pray in secret, your heavenly father will see you in secret and reward you openly. And then it talks about fasting in secret so your heavenly father will see you and reward you openly. And I believe that God is more interested in our private life than in our public life. But it takes us time to understand that, that our private life is more important. You know, uh, when Jesus spoke about our private life, to me it seems, or even in terms of what the Bible is saying, that he sees what we do in private because most of the time when we are private, we sin. No one sins publicly. Okay, I've got that wrong. No one in the church sins publicly. That one came right. Are you with me? And I'm troubled with these words uh, when I looked at it. Question my own heart. Because it's thought-provoking. And so Jesus was not concerned about our public life. He knows, okay, we'll behave ourselves in public. But who are you? Who am I when we are in secret when nobody is looking? What's going on in our heart and mind? And over the years I've discovered it's not easy to be alone with God. Because that's when you come heart to heart, not only with God, with what's happening on the inside of us. The second doctrine of demons has to do with forbidding people to marry. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, we read that in the beginning. Forbidding to marry, and then it talks about the next doctrine, abstain from food. We'll talk about that after this. There are people who promote celibacy for religious purposes. That if you want to serve God, you must live a celebrate life. You must live an abstinence. You shouldn't marry. Shouldn't deal with sexual things. It's, it's uh, impure. You see, the Catholic Church has it for their priest. There is far more abuse happening there than to those who are married. And I heard it from the priests themselves ministering to them. And shockingly, that one extreme Pentecostal group also believes the same thing, that if you have to come into ministry, no marriage, you have to live a celebrate life. Now, it's hard to, for us to look at it and say, well, these are doctrine of demons. I'm not saying it. The Bible is saying it. And you have the opportunity to heed what the Holy Spirit is expressly saying or to shut our ears and blindly go with the flow. And I don't know if there's any other movements, Christian religious movements that, that promote celibacy and not getting married. But I do know one thing, that the world is filled with people who despise marriage and promote living relationships. 
And now believers, born-again believers, are asking me the question, what is wrong with living relationships? Talk about being confused. It's one thing to have a ship in the water and another thing to have water in the ship. Why am I saying that? It's one thing for the church to be in the world, but a total different thing when the world gets into the church. And it looks like the church wants to align itself with the world every, in, in everything that the world is doing. Rather than being a, the salt and the light and influencing the world, the church is being influenced by the world. And now, I wouldn't be surprised already there are churches that are accommodating and welcoming living relationship and saying, yeah, what's wrong? After all, marriage, old fashioned, and all sorts of things. You're putting the wedding ring on this finger, now it's gone in this finger, and it's gone in this finger. I have no problem with every finger you put. I have no problem if you don't even put a ring. But what I'm trying to say is, people want change and they think, wow, things are old-fashioned. Let's, let's improvise on it. Everyone listening to this message, I pray that the Spirit of God will speak to your hearts. It's time that we woke up and start discerning what is right and what is wrong. Not from a place of being judgmental, but from a place of recognizing the enemy. These are the words of the Bible that says, in the last days, Satan will masquerade himself as an angel of light. Masquerade itself means will portray himself as the angel of light, and we will talk about it in one of these Sundays that we will not know the difference between Jesus, the light of this world, and Satan masquerading like the light of this world. The third doctrine that we saw in 1 Timothy is abstaining from foods that God created. The Bible says that all foods must be received with thanksgiving because we believe and know the truth that they were created by God and God has sanctified and told us to eat and bless and sanctify the food. So when there's any religion and Christianity promoting abstinence from food, certain foods, don't eat meat, meat is not healthy. Don't eat certain kinds of meat. Pork, why pork? Because demons went into the pig. If you found demons went into chickens, then you'll stop eating chickens. I mean, we make a doctrine, and then we promote it, don't eat this, don't eat that, and hey, you know what? Don't eat. I'm not saying you have to eat, but when someone makes it a law and puts religious belief behind it, it's becoming a doctrine of demon because it's imposing on your free will for religious purposes. Whether you eat meat or don't eat, certain foods or not, doesn't make you more righteous than what Jesus, the blood through his blood, has already declared you righteous. Somebody shout an amen to me. Jehovah's Witness, some of you may have heard of the Jehovah's Witness. They promote abstinence from certain foods, certain meats, don't eat. It's unscriptural. 
The Seventh-day Adventist Church promotes it, don't eat certain meats. What are they? Doctrine of demons. You know why I'm waiting? Settle down for you. You know, love is the greatest thing, and that's the greatest commandment. But loving the devil is not. And sometimes in the disguise of love, we embrace wrong doctrines and wrong influences, and then we wonder why. Deception. This is nothing. The worst is yet to come. In my study, I was shocked that most of the deception starts with the church. There are four levels of deception in the church and three in the world. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, the Bible warns us, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. What does that verse mean? We will have a form of godliness. That means outwardly we will have certain rules of how to dress, how to behave, how to talk. We have what's called the Christian jargon. You know what's Christian jargon? Praise the Lord, brother. Praise the Lord, sister. Do you actually praise the Lord? Brother, I just, I was just thinking of you. No, you weren't. But you know what? He say all of those things. Lack of integrity. We don't say what we mean. We mean one thing, we say another thing. We have a form of godliness but we deny the power thereof. What power? The power for God to transform us from the inside. You know, I look back at 35 years of my Christian life, and I thank God I was an atheist. I thank God when I was a sinner, I was a very good sinner. And I didn't get messed up with religion. I did not know how to be religious because I never was part of any religion. I was either from the world or in the kingdom. And that's why I found it extremely difficult when God says, I called you to be a pastor. Me? I mean, I stayed far away from the church than anyone could stay. I didn't know what these religious practices were till I became a pastor. I said, oh, you, why you do it? No, everyone does it, you do it. And if you're part of this church, I don't expect anyone to be religious. And don't expect me to be religious. And if you get shocked at me joking and playing around, well, that's who I am. And we must come to a place of accepting one another the way they are, 
not for the way they put, pretend to be. Do you like that? Do I have faults? I do. Ask my wife. None of us are perfect. But the message of the kingdom is learning to live the perfect life with imperfect people. We extend grace to everyone. We extend acceptance. We, 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 we accept them. But that does not mean we do it at the cost of promoting and believing things which are wrong. And that's why the Bible says we must quit having a form of godliness, an outward show of godliness, but we must go after transformation because God is interested in what we do in our hearts than what these people see outside us. Since this time, I will deal with the second area of deception. The first area is doctrine of demons and the four points come under the first point. The second doctrine of demon, I said, is concerning the second coming of the Lord, which is commonly known in the Bible as the day of the Lord, capital D, capital L. The day of the Lord, always referring to the return of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, or what some call the rapture, or what we call the rapture, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And rapture is a perfectly good word to use. But all mean the same thing. The day of the Lord, the second coming, the rapture is the same thing. Now, there's going to be a lot of deception when it comes to that. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 to 4. Let no one, let no one deceive you in any way. You know, how many times we hear the Apostle Paul and the, the Apostles talking about don't let people deceive you. Why? Because they are, they are aware that deception is so easy, so easy to fall into it. He says, let no one deceive you in any way. For that day, referring to the second coming, will not arrive until the rebellion comes and the man of lawlessness is revealed. So he's saying, look, don't let anyone, that day of Jesus' return will not come until the rebellion comes and the man of lawlessness received. The son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, and as a result, he takes a seat in the te God's temple, displaying himself as God. Till you see that prominent figure, till you see the man of lawlessness, he didn't say uh, the computer of lawlessness. He says the man of lawlessness a man that will oppose everything that's godly. Everything that's, uh, that's righteous will oppose it. He will set himself as God. He says, until that day comes, the return of the Lord Jesus will not happen. Look at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3 to 7. Follow with me carefully. <coughs> Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, <coughs> And the disciples came to him privately asking, when will all of this happen? 
What will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? <clears throat> Got the question? Relevant question, the question that we're asking, when will Jesus come? <clears throat> when will he return? And this is Jesus' reply. Watch out, no one deceives you. <laughs> Watch out, no one deceives you. Straight opening statement. No one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. Many. And will deceive how many? Many. People will be deceived. Oh, Christ has come. He's the Christ. You will hear of rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Don't be too concerned. That's part of the deal. You will hear rumors of, of wars. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Not yet come. It's still to come. So stop waking up in the morning and saying, Jesus, are you coming today? And pull the curtain and say, I'll wait. We never know whether he'll come in the morning, afternoon, or night. And if someone told you, and there were predictions, 2020 or 2021, Jesus has returned. Don't be deceived by that. Even Jesus says, no one knows the date and the hour when he will return, except the Father. So don't be fooled with some prophetic word that Jesus will come in 2021 or 2023 and promote doomsday. Yeah. Jesus said, don't let... Don't be deceived. <clears throat> Verse 7. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Not, not, yet, not yet predicted the return of the Lord. It's just, just the beginning of birth pains. And I believe that the birth pains have started. How many of you with me? So what we're hearing and all the trouble and all the rumors of wars and everyone, um, you know, talking peace at the same time, they're getting uh, uh, prepared with their armies, buying weapons, Investing in all kinds of nuclear things. All happening. We are in the, in, the, in the day and the time when we are experiencing the beginning of birth pains. But the end has not yet come. Until the end comes, until this time, and during this time, let's make the most of how many people we can get from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. That's our heart. And we must not shift from what Jesus is going to ask us when we return to, when we are with him in heaven. Did you fulfill the great commission? Did you go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, making disciples? That's what he left us with. He left us with the responsibility 
and we will be asked, what did we do? And so let's be preoccupied with getting the job done. Let's get preoccupied of being a light that will shine in darkness so that we bring glory to his name. I'd like us to stand. Tune in for a new message next week. To know more, visit us at www.adonichurch.in.